setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, we're back for another episode of Burning Issues. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I'm author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I'm also on the advisory board at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. I do some clinical work at Health Psychology Associates here in Albany, New York. And I'm also on the faculty at University at Albany, State University of New York. I'm thrilled to have a delightful guest this morning, Dr. Philip Asherson. He's professor of molecular psychiatry at the Maudsley Research Institute. He got an MD from the Royal London Hospital and a doctoral degree from the University of Wales. He, uh, in 2012, published one of my favorite genetics reviews of anything, and it happened to be focused on ADHD. So I'm hoping to get a real good feel for how cannabis might play a role with that disorder. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Asherson. Hi, good morning. I just wanted to say I work at the, we're now called the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience, and we're part of King's College London. Oh, that's a delightful affiliation to have. I, I appreciate you elaborating. Well, yeah. so I, I'd like to jump right in on this because I feel like you've got uh, some novel insights into just uh, what adult ADHD might be like. If you could sort of share us hallmark symptoms and what a, a person's life might be like if they have this disorder. Well, I've been working with um, adults with ADHD since around 1996. I trained as an adult psychiatrist, so I spend most of my time talking in depth to people about the way they experience um, the symptoms of ADHD, which I think gives you a slightly different perspective. I mean, we all think, we often think of ADHD as very hyperactive children, um, uh, restless, inattentive children. But I suppose when you talk to adults, you also get a really nice description of the experiences. Um, of inattention, of feeling restless, of feeling bored, um, being very impatient. The other thing we learned about ADHD is um, emotional instability seems to be closely linked in with problems with focusing and attention and restlessness. And people with ADHD tend to get easily irritable, angry, frustrated. Um, so, so those emotional symptoms are also a really key part of the condition. And people, there are other problems like sleep is also a huge problem in ADHD. And a lot of people just can't get off to sleep because their mind is so active, their bodies are so restless and they can't get off to sleep at night. Oh, okay. This is laying a nice groundwork then. I know you've done some work with the subtypes and I'm curious if you uh, sort of have a feel for this combined subtype or if you believe in one more than another. Well, we the way we look at it is, I mean, ADHD symptoms themselves are in a sense seen throughout the whole population because everybody has more or less inability to focus and attend we're more or less restless and so um, when we talk about ADHD we're really talking about the the extreme tale of what is a normally distributed trait you know that we all have some level of 
But when it's severe um, and causes you problems, that's when we think of it as a clinical disorder. And kind of within that, you can think that there are these two separate domains. You know, one is around problems with concentrating, focusing, being distracted, forgetful, organized. You know, that's what we call inattention. And then there's this other dimension of being hyperactive, restless and impatient. And the two often co-occur together. But essentially, they occur together to varying degrees in different people. So some people have more of a problem with inattention and other people have more of a problem with the hyperactive restlessness. And there is a developmental story here that in general, when you're younger, you're more likely to have both sets of um, symptoms. But as you're getting older, for most people, the hyperactive and impulsive symptoms tend to decline with age. So a lot of children with combined type actually end up as having a mainly inattentive problem as adults. Um, on the other hand, when hyperactivity and impulsivity does persist through into adulthood, you see that in some of the more severe cases, the people who end up in prison, you know, people who have a lot of driving accidents and people showing a lot of risky behaviours are more likely to be hyperactive and impulsive as adults as well. Interesting, interesting to know. And I love that developmental trajectory approach. I'm curious, it sounds like if we've all sort of got a little bit, is there a, a set of behavioral interventions that might be a first line of defense? Um, well, that's a good question. And I don't think it's been properly studied. But I've been uh, following some of the recent literature on mindfulness-based interventions. There's a group in Holland led by Anne Speckens, and they've been publishing papers showing really good results on core ADHD symptoms following an eight-week mindfulness course. So, so that's one thing I found very interesting. But I think for a lot of people, kind of good advice and developing strategies can be very helpful. And if you end, if you end up seeing somebody, um, an expert on ADHD, who really knows how to help you kind of function with your ADHD, you can also see huge successes in life. And of course, one of the interesting things about ADHD is there are a lot of people out there with high levels of symptoms, and some of them are doing just fantastic. So you get great sportsmen, great artists, um, particularly st stage actors and comedians, and, and, and a fair number of those people have ADHD. So it's not always a bad thing, although it obviously is for a lot of people. It, it sounds like we could all use a, a little bit of this, but we just don't want to go off into the uh, domain where it's a problem. No. Well, that's one of the questions we're trying to address when we think of it in this dimensional way. You know, could um, having a little bit of ADHD have some sort of value, maybe giving you more energy and creativity? But in fact, all the data that's been generated so far really doesn't show that. It actually shows that the more ADHD you have, the, the worse your outcomes tend to be. And so, um, so I think it's still a, a bit of a question whether the people that do well are kind of bucking the trends. You know, they're just intelligent enough or, or wise enough. Um, or had enough kind of positive support in their upbringing to somehow turn it around and find the positives in their lives. But for many people, they're kind of really struggling. And so they, they uh, you know, would benefit a lot from um, sort of good advice from people that know about ADHD. Well, a lot of us think first of those sort of standard dopaminergic uh, medications. Do you have any strong feelings about those? Well, they seem to work very well in terms of controlling and reducing the symptoms and so for a lot of people they're they are a great solution i mean the the effects are very rapid the effects can be 
quite profound. And um, one of one of the symptoms we've focused a lot on is, is um, you could think of it as mental restlessness. And it kind of seems to underpin the inattention. And what people describe is that their thoughts are on the go all the time and their thoughts jump and flit and they just can't switch it off. And so it's a very distractible and intrusive uh, kind of mental state, if you like. And it stops you reading. It stops you focusing on things. It stops you planning and organizing ahead. And when you take stimulant medications, they, they can really help to regulate and control those thought processes. So you can start to think about one thing at a time in a kind of calm and focused way. And at the same time, people will feel less restless, less impulsive and sort of emotionally more stable. So at least for a lot of people, these are good treatments. I mean, one of the limitations with all drug treatments is they only work while you take them. And no one has ever found a drug for ADHD that makes your ADHD go away. So you get short-lived control, but once the effects of the medication wear off, all your symptoms come back. But I don't know if that would be any different for any other drug. I mean, so far, we've only found that to be, uh, we haven't found that for, for, for uh, we've found that for all drugs. Very intriguing. It's, it's curious yeah. because these dopaminergic meds seem to be such a, a front line of defense. We are going to mm. have to take a, yeah. a, a brief break. As my cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeak, would say, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with Dr. Philip Asherson discussing ADHD and cannabis. Thanks for being here with Burning Issues. Don't go away. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. I'm talking to Dr. Philip Asherson. We're uh, focusing on some of the hallmark and intriguing symptoms of ADHD. I'd like to move into the cannabis world for this. 
Uh, first and foremost, I realize a lot of our listeners don't understand how medical cannabis really works in the UK. Would you mind giving us a feel for uh, where that research situation is? Well, I think in the UK, cannabinoids, cannabis of all sorts, is, are not widely used as medicines. But, um, for example, there is a licensed medication called Sativex, which is an oromucosal spray. So you get a, a carefully titrated dose. I think it's 2.7 mg of CBD and 2.5 mg of THC. And people are using it mainly for um, neurological disorders like multiple sclerosis and spasticity um, and maybe for um, other areas like neuropathic pain. And there's a lot of research at the moment going on into the use in epilepsy. So that's the kind of domain where it's being used in the UK, but probably not being widely used um, in general and, and, and certainly not outside of those conditions. So do you have a subjective sense that cannabis might be helpful for a subset of folks with ADHD? Well, the way I came about this, and I think you would find a similar story talking to other experts who work a lot with adults with ADHD, I mean, the first thing is that people with ADHD often use cannabis, and so they do also use other drugs. It could possibly reflect risk-taking behavior, but actually what they seem to describe is more of a treatment response or a treatment effect. And one of my current projects is actually uh, treating uh, prisoners, offenders who are in prison with ADHD. And um, we started asking people about their cannabis use in that population. And we found that even among these um, prison offenders, people with ADHD were about twice as much, twice as likely to use cannabis every day of their life than people without ADHD. And so I think it was something like 75% of prisoners with ADHD, you know, when they're in the community in their daily lives, they'll use cannabis every day. And we spend a lot of time asking people about the drugs they use and the effects they have. And so very commonly, people describe it may, uh, particularly helping them with their hyperactive and impulsive symptoms. So feeling calmer, um, more, more stable, less restless. Um, and another big thing is getting off to sleep at night, because that's also a huge problem in ADHD. I, I ask them a lot about the inattention, because that is such an important part of ADHD. And I would say, I mean, my own judgment I've formed from talking to people is that they describe that less often. On the other hand, you do come across some people who clearly say, you know, when they use cannabis, they can go to work, they can focus. And if they don't use cannabis, they really can't because they're too inattentive and distract distractible. And some of this, I, um, these ideas came from one particular patient who I met. Um, and he was a particularly severe uh, case, if you like. He was very restless very over talkative and very distracted and he so he sat in my office and he just talked non-stop found it hard to sit still and his mother and he brought along his mother who was a lovely uh, sort of elderly lady who came along with him and um they both explained to me that the only time he could really slow down and communicate was when he had had cannabis and the mother gave a very clear account of how she could only she knew if he'd had cannabis or not because he could she could actually have a conversation with him after he had used cannabis. So he was the first patient who I actually thought, okay, he hadn't responded to stimulant drugs. And in fact, he seemed to get worse when he took stimulants. And we tried it on some other ADHD medications and they didn't work for him either. 
but we did try using Sativex. And I think it worked quite well. The only problem was uh, maybe because he'd been used to using a lot of cannabis, he, he took a lot of it. And it became, it was a very expensive form of treatment, which was, a, which was uh, in the end, a big problem. But it does seem that for mo most people, you don't actually need very much. Um, and when we come on to talk about the study we did, that, that kind of really surprised me, that it seemed that really low doses, doses that weren't really causing any other effects, seem to be helping your ADHD. And, and that seemed particularly interesting. Oh, I find that intriguing to hear as well. My student, Mallory mm. Laughlin, had some data on how the daily users may be more likely to have ADHD as well. So I think that's mm. interesting. This is converging. Yeah. It's, it sounds like the hyperarousal in particular may be particularly responsive. Is, is uh, that at least your impression from other clinical cases you've seen? Yeah, at least more often it seems to be mainly targeting the the, uh, the restlessness, the overactivity and the emotional instability. So people feel calmer and less restless. And I think sometimes when people are very overactive, I mean, just being able to sit still also enables them to focus. You know, just they, they're, they're calm enough and they're, uh, you know, to sit and, and, and focus better. But... We have this kind of measure, um, I talked earlier about mind wandering, which is, again, a very sensitive measure of inattention. And um, so I asked people whether cannabis helps with that. And in general, do they think it helps with their concentration? And quite a lot of people say it doesn't. Um, saying that, a few people say it does. So you do occasionally get very clear descriptions where cannabis does help that. So I suppose I'm, I'm less sure. It seems to generally help your hyperactivity, impulsivity, and then maybe in a smaller minority affect their inattention. Because it could be due to what they're taking. I mean, they're using street cannabis. You know, it's very high in THC. Perhaps there are some other um, compounds in there as well. So, I mean, it could just be that they're not taking the optimal treatments. So if you wanted to kind of take this forward, you'd, you'd obviously want to find out a lot more about what were the infective ingredients. But also it may well be that, um, you know, there, there could, of course, be subtypes. I mean, people, some respond to stimulants and some don't, for example. Um, and at least some in some cases that haven't responded to stimulants, some of them seem to gain benefit from cannabis. So obviously there are there are different subtypes and different treatments are going to work differently for different people. When I think of that Sativex ratio of THC to CBD, it's it's practically one to one there, and I don't think yeah. there are very many strains, at least in in the U.S., that have that much cannabidiol. So that's intriguing mm -hmm. in and of itself. The uh, clinical quandary you must be in, though, uh, it must be sort of cumbersome to try to move down different treatments and, and have to recommend this. Is there a, an ethical predicament you end up in? Well, I'm, I'm not really recommending cannabis or, or prescribing it in my general work. I mean, people use it, um, but that's kind of up to them. And I'll, ob I'll obviously discuss it with them and the effects it's having on them. But in terms of recommendations, I mean, the obvious thing is to is to evaluate it properly. I mean, I, I do feel we ought to be evidence based and we have enough trouble in the ADHD field already just trying to prescribe drugs where there is a, a very strong uh, medical and scientific data behind it. And we still have problems um, in, in um, sort of getting people to a recognize ADHD and treat it appropriately. 
So I, I do think whatever we recommend, you know, really needs to be evidence based and we need to do the studies behind that. Oh, you'll definitely get no argument from me about that. That's that's yeah. a, definitely a, a best approach. Do you have any just rules of thumb for folks who may be struggling with some of these symptoms in their own lives? Um, well, I think um, I think physical activity is very helpful. I think just having a good diet. I think mindfulness-based interventions are very helpful. I think if you're having a lot of problems with organizing and planning, um, going to see a, a good and well-qualified ADHD coach um, or psychotherapist who knows about ADHD can be really valuable. And if the symptoms are really impairing you and holding you back, you should seek a medical diagnosis and uh, try some treatment. I mean, that still is the first line treatment for people who are in, who are significantly impaired by ADHD symptoms. Well, that sounds like splendid advice. I really appreciate you laying all that out for us. So I do have to call it a day, but I'm super oh. grateful for your willingness to, to talk to us. Uh, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine on Burning Issues. We've been talking to Dr. Philip Asherson. Thanks so much for being on the show. We'll right. be right We'll be right back with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Thanks again. Thank you. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 12th to the 14th at the Oakland Marriott City Center in Oakland, California. Register now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Meet industry leaders over three days of informative sessions and visit hundreds of vendors along the more than 80,000 square feet of sold-out expo floor. Hear from over 100 thought leaders headlined by feature keynote speaker, former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. Join us at the epicenter of the cannabis movement sponsored by the industry's only National Trade Association, the fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 12th through the 14th. Register now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks for tuning in to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter in Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Thanks so much for joining me for this segment. I always get a kick out of it. 
this is how our cannabis radio listeners take good care of themselves and each other. I got some curious emails asking for sort of stepping out of the head and more into the body on our self-compassion and the art of activism segment. We've already uh, heard that there's a lot of good work to be done as far as just including exercise in our lives, but the combination of uh, activity and cognitive components is a real key in cognitive behavioral therapy, of course. So I did want to review sort of the key ideas about taking action in order to improve your day-to-day life. The behavioral side of cognitive behavioral therapy has a lot of outspoken advocates, and they're in uh, this outspoken group uh, that focuses on behavioral activation. I wanted to take some core principles of behavioral activation and just lay them out for our listeners when you're not feeling like you want to just focus on the thoughts inside your own mind, but really get into the doing the footwork of building a better life. I took some of these from my friend Sonia Demidian's really cool book on behavioral activation. And really what she wants to emphasize is that we're often having more fun when we're doing something than when we're doing nothing. I don't need to tell you how bad it can be lying there with the uh, shades drawn, listening to the dark side of the moon with nothing going on at all. That really does lead to a sad mood. And really the key to changing how you feel is changing what you do. That principle alone has then inspired her to recommend structuring and scheduling activities that are going to follow your plan rather than your mood. So if you laid out tomorrow and said, at 9 o'clock I'll do this, at 10 o'clock I'll do this, at 11 o'clock I'll do this, and you built in naturally reinforcing good activities that you know you're going to value in the end, you're going to feel better even if at 9 o'clock your mood says, oh, I don't feel like doing this. In some sense, let's let our values be the guide of what we do rather than our momentary emotions, and that's how we build a productive life. Another key point that uh, Dr. Demidjian makes is change is going to be easier when we start small. So I've had clients literally sit down to make a list of things to do, and one of them wrote, get a college degree. Obviously, that is just too big a goal, more than we really want to get into on a single to-do list. And so we had to break that down into doable parts, and she realized what she really needed to do was study for an hour on something that she was already working on. You see how this small part, this little step in the right direction is much more doable and then you're building in the reinforcers because you can complete that and the more often you get to cross things off your list the better it's going to feel. B.F. Skinner actually started with this and called it successive approximations. This is how he taught pigeons how to play ping pong. They didn't just suddenly start playing ping pong. They had to break it down into smaller pieces Uh, This is the same way uh, I've written books or gotten a PhD myself, and the idea is literally just start small and build from there. The other point that Dr. Demidjian emphasizes is that we want to pick activities that are naturally reinforcing. And really what that means is just, is this something that you're going to feel good after? It may not feel delightful at the time. 
So I have to admit there are times when the thought of exercise sounds kind of a little bit of a drag, but once you get rolling, things get better. And so if I pick things that are naturally reinforcing, I often don't end up in my head discussing motivation. The sidebar to this, of course, is that motivation is a state. It's not that motivation is some trait that some people have and some people don't. Oh, here's a motivated person. Here's a non-motivated person. We all have motivation, ebb and flow. Hey, it's practically like the weather. It's certainly like a lot of our other feelings. And the clincher is to understand that this is a part of the process. So if I pay attention to when my motivation is high, I can repeat those same situations in order to make that happen. So in choosing naturally reinforcing activities, I get to also give myself a little bit of a break, if you will, understand that this is scheduled because I know I'm going to feel better later, even if I'm not necessarily going to feel good during the process itself. The last point that Dr. Dimension really emphasizes is don't just talk, do. And I feel like that can sound a little ironic coming from just a voice on a podcast. We really do spend a lot of time talking, and I uh, hope I can use this as an opportunity for you to gather a little data on behavioral activation yourself. If you'd be willing to schedule just one day and fill it with activities you value and then run a little experiment, let me know how it goes at 420research at gmail.com. Again, that's 420, the numbers, research at gmail.com. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Burning Issues on CannabisRadio.com. Please join us again soon. You can always find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, and anywhere good podcasts appear. I'm Dr. Mitch. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.